I want to take you to Haggai, however you want to say that word, chapter 2. I'm going to give you some background. Guys, listen, we, are, we, we have got to become an offensive people. What that means is we got to transition from defense to offense. <coughs> we got to start <coughs> taking shots instead of defending against things that people are shooting at us. The weapons, our weapons, are mighty through God. That means you've been given weapons. Weapons are only useful if you do what with them? Use them. The weapons of your warfare are not carnal. That means you don't act, your, you don't act them out in the natural, but it also identifies the fact that you've been given weapons. When you have weapons, you're not helpless. You're not defenseless. You've been given weapons to go on the offense and shoot and fire and use your weapons to be victorious in the kingdom. The kingdom of God is not weak. This is why I do not personally believe the rapture is going to take place anytime because soon because the word of God says that Christ or God is coming back after a powerful spotless bride. And that is not what I see. Just me personally. In the majority of the kingdom, I don't see a powerful spotless bride. I really don't even see the zeal of the Lord in the house of the Lord. And this is what Haggai was talking about bringing back. Where is the zeal of the Lord in his house? Where are the people who are excited about him? Where are the people who are zealous for the kingdom of God and the things of God and the house of God? The people in Haggai's day had been in captive for 70 years. And some of the old timers we would call them, they knew what it was to experience worship in Solomon's temple. They had seen the most glorious edifice ever and they had seen the power of God in such glory and such a manifested presence of God in his temple that they knew what it was like. And all they could talk about was how it was in the good old days. So they had been through 70 years of captivity because of their disobedience. People say, well, God put them in captivity. No, he did not. They put themselves in captivity. God, every time you see the people of Israel get led into captivity, God begged them through prophets not to go this route. They made a choice. They made a choice, an open choice against the word of God that says, please don't do this. We, we, have, we have not raised up generations in the church of people who know how to listen to their spiritual authority or people who are over them in the Lord. The Bible constantly tells you, Submit yourself to those who are over you in the Lord, that they may do their work without fear. A generation, you know, it, it spills over into society. I heard Nick Saban talking about this. People nowadays, they don't want to do what they're, they're they don't want to follow the rules. They don't want to do what they're asked to do by people who know more than them. They want to do everything their way. And in the kingdom, we can't have that mentality. That's why the, the word of God says, don't be conformed to the way the world thinks, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You have to place yourself in the kingdom dynamic. And you have apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, teachers. You have people that are like that who are mentors, who are over you in the Lord. And when they tell you, don't go that way, don't do that, I see danger ahead of you if you continue down that path. You've got to be willing to listen to that. When a pastor stands in the pulpit and says, listen, you are victorious. Quit professing over your life that you're a victim and helpless. Do that. Because the word of the Lord has come to him and said, this is what the people need to hear. Just like in Haggai's day. Haggai was a great, it's listed as a prophet, but he, man, he carried a, 
strong pastoral anointing. Did you turn the air on? Did you? I mean, it takes it a minute, but thank you. Good, because it's hot in here. <laughs> when we do, I promise you, when we go through the construction phase and we're still getting information out, we will address this situation with the heat and air. It's just a matter of getting the thermostats in the right place and getting ones that can monitor themselves. And then we can set it on whatever and just leave it there. But in Haggai's day, the people had been in bondage for 70 years. They had come out of bondage and they were making an attempt to rebuild the temple of God. They wanted the manifest presence of God amongst them again. So they had started by building altars and making sacrifices to God. They had perfect hearts in their original intent. But they got distracted because the old timers started talking about how it used to be. And they discouraged themselves and they discouraged the younger generation. Because all they could talk about was what it was like in the good old days and how this temple will never be as awesome as the former temple. This house, this presence will never be as good as the former presence. So you know what they did? They laid the foundation and they quit and they went their own way and started building houses for themselves. They started building houses that were pleasing in their sight and they left the work of the Lord alone. And because of that, God said, you, you, you eat, but you're never hungry. You work hard, but you never really reap a benefit from it. And the reason is you've left alone my work and you went your own way and done your work. In other words, you become a people who know me, yet you're not zealous for the things of me. You know me, and honestly, you know me, and you reap the benefits from knowing me. That's like people say, well, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, so I don't have to walk in obedience here on the earth. And God's called you to be a separate people, a holy people, a consecrated people, a committed people. And the reason I'm saying this is because we will not house the presence of God unless we allow the zealousness of his house and the love of God to so envelop us that we see things the way he sees them. And he sees things by always looking outside of himself. Christ is never exalted by looking at himself. The love of God will compel you to become zealous for this house and the things of this house. The things of this house, I mean, which are kingdom things that we're doing. I mean, I have several things that I keep to myself because it's not time yet. But the Lord has, has told me that on a few things, it's time to give birth to these things. And it's going to require that I become more zealous for that than I am my own personal business. It's going to require that I become more zealous for that than the things that my heart desires. Because they're the things of God. And they're the things that he wants to do. And I know that and I've been praying for this zealousness to come back to this house. And it's not that we've lost it because this is a new work. <coughs> but in generations past, the work was started. It's the same thing with Solomon's temple. It was perfect. But they couldn't steward the manifest presence. So they led... They were led astray into disobedience. And they lost that. And God wants to reestablish that. And he sent Haggai to address it. And he, Haggai begins to prophesy what the word of the Lord said to him. And, and he starts to record this in Haggai. And we're going to look at chapter 2 because chapter 1 is the history. <coughs> Haggai chapter 2 says this. Then on October the 17th, on that same year, 
And I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. The Lord sent another message through the prophet Haggai. Say this to Sarah Bevel. That last B is pronounced V. Son of Shiltiel, governor of Judah, and to Yeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Now he went to the government structure and he went to the religious structure to get this message across. He went to those who were in authority of the government of that area and he went to the one who was in authority of the priest. The priest is the one who dictated the spiritual guidance for the whole community. So it's like coming to the mayor and the, the, the pronounced man of God in the region. He got the mayor and he got the pastor of that community together. And he says, this is what God is saying. Now you distribute this to the people. Does anyone remember this house? This is the word of the Lord. This temple in its former splendor. How in comparison does it look to you now? It must seem like nothing at all. Does anyone remember this house? And in your life, this is what the Lord told me, in our lives... We've had dreams. And we've seen those dreams and we've lived in those dreams. We've had, uh, listen, when I give you examples from the pulpit, I'm not throwing things at anybody. If I have an issue with Josh or my children or my wife, I address that in our own life. So I'm not, there's no hidden messages here. If this touches you, I'm not trying to give you a message. If I had something directly that I thought me and you needed to discuss, I'd pull you aside and we'd discuss it. I don't go around about ways to try to get people. So whatever instance I use here, I'm not addressing you unless God's exposing you. He said there are people sitting here who've had marriages, and they sat within those marriages in the first days, and they're living the dream. Living the dream. Everything's wonderful. They see their marriage in all the splendor, and then one day... Of course, it takes time, but in over time, they wake up and they're standing in ruins because their marriage crumbles. They've had small children, and they've realized the glory of the Lord, and they've stood in that dream, and they've had those dreams, and they stand now in the ruins of that dream because of choices. They've had careers that they started, and, and the career would launch out, and everything was going great, and something happened. And now they stand in the ruins of that past failure. And God is asking you, do you remember the glory of that past failure? You stand in ruins and you say it can never be the same. You stand in in the midst of ruins and you look around and you say "It it will never be like it once was. And that's what God wants you to do. He wants you to, in your mind this morning, stand in the middle of those ruins. That little baby girl that you had and what you thought that would look like as an adult and that dream that shattered, that career, what you thought was going to happen, that shattered, that church, that that association with another church, your marriage, something. We all have something that we stand and look around and we see ruins of a past crushed dream. Personally, things that we've personally been involved in and allowed into our lives that have ruined areas of our life. Relationships. Mother, daughter, father, son, sibling relationships that we stand and we're in the midst of ruins of a relationship and we look around and say, it once was good, it can never be that way again. The power of God 
that was once in this region. The revivals that we all have heard about in this region. And God says, look around and now it lays in ruins. What do you see? And he's addressing those who have come into an alignment with the idea that it can never be any better than it is right now. That's why they quit rebuilding. It's because they begin to lay the foundation and it didn't go smooth and easy. And so they begin to look and say, we're not making a whole lot of progress. We're not going to fix 70 years of ruin in a month, so we're going to quit. If you really study this out, it's the same work that was under the way in Nehemiah's time. They actually only worked for a month before they quit. Nehemiah had to recast the whole vision in 27 days into the work. Dude, you can't even be inspired to work 30 days. I got to come down off the wall, which he's talking about all the time. I'm doing a good work. I can't come down. <clears throat> I thought about you when I was reading it. That's a joke. But anyway, <clears throat> he says 20, or, or it's recorded in Scripture, 27 days into the work, Nehemiah has to recast the vision. Haggai, they work for less than 30 days and they quit. They've, they've allowed something to lay in ruins for 70 years and they expect in 30 days for it to have its former glory. And this is a result to us. This is actually a, 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 a testimony and an example to us is that when you are doing the things of God, it doesn't always just happen like that. When you have, are standing in the middle of ruins, sometimes you have to apply the work of the ministry to rebuild what you've destroyed. Through your disobedience. Sometimes in relationships, it takes a while to rebuild what you've destroyed. Everybody's so intense on what's going to happen five years down the road. And we cannot understand that today is all we have. You have to steward today. It is your responsibility to steward today. Then the years will align upon themselves. But if you are faithful to steward well what God has given you in today then you will look around in two, four. They, they actually got so inspired by God that they finished the work in five years. But it took them almost five years to finish this work. So this is not something that Freedom Point or your personal life is something that you come into a contact with God and now you get these warm and fuzzies about God and you feel all accepted and, and you feel loved and you don't want to put forth any effort to rebuild. They had to pick the stones up themselves and rebuild. And this is what God's calling us to. You've gotten a revelation of me. You've gotten a revelation of my love. I've given you an understanding of how to operate in peace. And I've also told you, and, and I am teaching you, the power of declaration. And the next phase you're going to go into is you're going to have to get off your rear end and go to work. It's called the work of the ministry for a reason. And you cannot be some, some whiny baby and walk into the fullness of God. We have, to, we have to, like I posted on Facebook this morning, we've got to pick ourselves up, bow our own back, change our own countenance, and go forward and do the work of the Lord. Now, I understand the tension built in that profession when you're standing in the middle of ruins. I understand that. Me and Josh were having a conversation about past and things like that. We just talk like regular guys talk. And I told him, I said, son, there are things that nobody will ever know about me and my past. 
My wife don't know them. Nobody knows them. Me and the Lord know them. But if I profess them to you, your jaw will hit the floor. Things that just, you know, I keep between me and the Lord. So, even though you don't know what those are, when you come to me and talk about standing in the middle of ruins, I can identify with that. I look at, I see people sometimes that I hurt said, said things about. And so I know what it means to stand in the middle of ruins and think to myself, how can I ever get to that place that the Lord's calling me to? How can I ever, knowing who I am and what I've done in my past and the relationships and, and the way the relationships are in my life and things like that, how can I ever see the former glory? Because when I first, and some of you are, are continually comparing today to what it was like when you first received Christ. You remember when you first received Christ? You remember how zealous you were for the things of God? What was only on your mind? <laughs> how much you loved him and you, wanted to, you just wanted to go out and win the world. You were naive enough to believe that you could make an impact and that you could change people's lives because you were fired up about what had just happened to you. And all you wanted to do was tell people about Jesus. All you wanted to do was some way, somehow, you were compelled to go into the world and profess him. And it affected everything you did. You didn't allow anything, whether it be movies or, or music or any. You wouldn't allow anything to touch you that you didn't feel the hand of God on when you were first zealous for his kingdom. We've become so relaxed, guys. Listen, I'm in this work with you, but we've become so relaxed. We allow anything to touch us now. In Haggai, and we won't get to it today, but if you read on down into the chapter... God asked Haggai, he said, ask the priest that if they touch a dead body and then they touch something else, will it defile the other thing that they touch? And the priest said, yes, it will. Because if I allow myself to touch something that's unholy, it's going to affect everything in my life. Read on down. So if we, if we allow ourselves to come in contact with things that are unholy, it will absolutely have consequences in every single thing that we touch in our life. You can't separate and compartmentalize living for God. You can't have a, a, a just holding your partying to Friday night and touching those unholy things and then coming to the house of God and worship the Lord. I can't, with Angela, go out on Friday nights and sit under R-rated movies that have nudity and language and then come in here and expect to connect with the anointing and the power of God to give you. That don't happen that way. When I align myself and I allow myself to touch the unholy, then it affects everything. But the great news is, I don't have to live that way. I can repent, I can ask God who is faithful and just to forgive me my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And then today is the only day I have. I can be empowered from the first breath I take in the morning to the last breath I take right before I go to sleep. I'm talking about conscious breaths. I can align myself with the things of God and I can be empowered to live above that. I do not have to do that. I don't have to have the things that I used to have to have to suppress my anxiety and my fear and my, and my depression. I don't have to have those things anymore because now I'm living in a kingdom of peace. This is, this is honestly why God wanted you to get the understanding of peace. is because the majority of problems you face is because you don't walk in the kingdom because the kingdom is regulated by peace. Of his kingdom and peace, there will be no end. If you're not walking in peace, you have to have medication. Or you'll lose your mind. If you're not coming from peace, you won't be able to speak to the eyes of those people 
who are disobedient and declare over them, I see you as this. You know what it's like to look into the eyes of somebody who is purposely making choices to kill themselves and try to declare the word of the Lord over them? You know what it's like to look at a failing marriage and try to declare the word of the Lord over them? You know what it's like to look at a failing career where you're always underneath and you can't seem to get on top and declare the word of the Lord over that? Do you know what that's like? Of course you know what that's like. You all know what that's like. But you can't be empowered to do that unless you seek after the one who empowers. When you're zealous for the house of God, you don't want to touch the things that are not holy. <clears throat> this is different than my normal messages. Because I'm all about love and grace and I get that. And I believe that. If you don't have an understanding of that, you're never going to get to this place. If you don't have an understanding of grace and mercy and love, You'll never see yourself as accepted. You are already accepted. It's not a matter if he loves you and accepts you. That's taken care of. If he didn't love you, he wouldn't have never sent Christ. We quote John 3.16 all the time. We've got to have a true understanding and belief in that scripture. But when you get past that, it ain't about you anymore, just to put it plainly. It ain't about me anymore. My life ain't about me. He didn't give me breath to appease me. Now, he wants to co-labor with me, and he wants me to realize my dream, and he wants me to have fun, and nothing wrong with riding motorcycles, nothing wrong with going to Alabama football games. He wants you to enjoy that. But what I really live and breathe and have my being for is the spiritual purpose of why I'm here. It's not about making it to heaven. It's not about making it to heaven. God didn't give you birth so that you could barely make it through life and then get to heaven. So many people are satisfied by knowing that they're going to go to heaven. And so they don't really care how they live down here. They don't care that they come into an agreement with power. They don't, they don't or will not allow themselves to become conscientious. You see, I have a responsibility to my family first. I have a responsibility to Angela, Ashlyn, Leah, and Josh to be who I was created to be. Because who I was created to be will affect their destiny. It's not about me. It's not about what's best for me. Hey, you parents know it would be easy at times throw in the towel. Go grab a 24-pack and head to the goal. And forget it. Say, I did the best I can do. You're above 20. Good luck to you. We sing it Travis Tritt songs. Here's a quarter. Call somebody who cares. You know? Going on a three-day cruise, you know. I did my best and then I left them alone. We all sing that because at a certain part of you, you identify with that. But I have an obligation to you. I don't look at pornography because what if I got caught looking at pornography? How would that affect justice? It ain't about what I think I deserve the right to do. It ain't about me being a grown man doing what I want to do. It's about, hey, I have a destiny. I have an impact. I have an influence. It ain't about me. It's about him. What do you want? And I'm concerned when we're more fearful about man finding out than we are that God knows. Some of us don't do things because we think we're going to get caught, but yet we don't really care about the consequences of our spiritual life. You have your own issue. I have my own issue. You know, I have my own things that I were involved in. I have my own 
lust. I have my own issues that I have to deal with. And I could say that as long as I'm not participating in that sin, I'll go ahead and participate and dabble in this sin sin because it ain't the same and it's more socially acceptable. There are things that Paul taught were socially accepted but not allowable in the kingdom. Why? Because Paul said, lest I become a stumbling block for somebody else. It's, it's lawful for me that I can do this. It's not against God's law as far as sin and not sin. But I will not do it because if my brother sees me doing it, it could cause him to stumble. Do I honestly, look, I'm just bare all. Do I honestly believe that it will send you to hell to drink a glass of wine? Absolutely not. But how would you honestly feel if I'm at a steakhouse and you walk in and I got a bottle of wine, me and Angela, and we're having a glass of wine. Now, some of you, that might not bother. Honestly, out, drinking a glass of wine is more of a cultural thing than it is a spiritual thing. It just really is. If you've ever been outside Alabama and outside this nation and outside the South, you understand that people view that totally different. And I don't believe it's sin for them. The Bible says, be not drunk with wine, which is an excess. It's always a condition of your heart, not a condition of, the, of what you're taking in. Because Christ said it ain't what goes in, it's what comes out. That means it's what's in your heart. If you're drinking alcohol because you have a motive of stress relief, that's sin to you. That's my opinion. Because God should be the only source of our peace. I know older ladies who drink a glass or two of wine a week because their doctor told them when they was 30 that it was good for them. And so they believe it's a medicinal thing. Medicinal thing. Take me in a while, but I get it. So what's that got to do? What if you saw me and Angela at Outback Steakhouse and we got a big old bottle of wine there and it's almost empty? I mean, honestly, how would you feel about that? Some people would be all right with it. Some people wouldn't. I'm not going to do that. You don't know why? Because I ain't interested if I can get away with it. I'm interested in how you're going to perceive it because I'm in a relationship with you and I want to protect you. And you owe me. And I owe you. And it's time we start seeing that. I owe you, and you owe me, because we're now in a relationship. And I have a responsibility to Justin, and he has a responsibility to me. And we are in a relationship, which means we care about each other, and we want to protect each other. And if it means personal sacrifice that I protect him, then that's what I'm going to give. And that's why marriages don't work. I watch, I watch, I used to watch, I don't anymore, I promise you I do not anymore, but I used to watch Jerry Springer, laugh my head off, Him <laughs> some messed up folk, I used to watch it, and you know what, all these marriages, they, oh, he just ain't meeting my knees no more, he just ain't doing this, she just ain't doing that, it's all from the motive of the enemy, which is selfishness, let me tell you, when you become one with somebody else, it ain't about you no Sure, they have a responsibility to meet your need. They have a responsibility to be the best them they can be. But when you couple with God, oh, I offer my life as a living sacrifice. If you sung that up here this morning, we would all be rejoicing to that. Offer my life as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable unto you, God. I lay down my life for you, God. You know, and we come and we lay in the altar. And then we get up and we ain't in the car ten minutes and we're cussing each other out because somebody don't want to go to Cracker Barrel. And somebody don't want to go to Golden Corral. And somebody don't want a Milo's burger. You see what I'm saying? I mean, that's silly, but that's the truth. Why? Because we're, it's in our DNA to be self-motivated and selfish. And God is saying, 
Look, even if you're standing in the middle of past ruins, and I'm just being honest with you here, God is speaking something through this house that is not normal. He is saying to you that he's called you to be different, He's called you to be separate. He's called you to be holy. But in that, you're going to experience a level of of manifestation in your life that this house, this dream, will excel and far exceed the glory of what you thought you were dreaming. Any past dream that was destroyed. If you've had a marriage that failed, this new marriage, the glory of it can far exceed the glory of your former. If you will repair your relationship with father and mother, siblings, then that relationship, no matter what you've done, can be greater than the former relationship. Your relationship with your father can be far greater than anything you thought it was going to be as a daughter. It can be. It's the word. we got to quit saying it ain't going to be. It can't be because they have a free will. God affects will. You're here. He called you to the point that you chose to surrender your will to him. If he'll do it for you, he'll do it for anybody. Because he don't love you any more than he does the non-believer. Your relationships, guys, can be reconciled. You've received the ministry of reconciliation. Now he's given you the ministry of reconciliation. Should I just lay down and be a floor mat? Absolutely not. You have to recognize people who have come into an alignment with the enemy and not allow them to speak and touch and bring destruction, death into your life. But they can manipulate how you are. And you, the power of God in you is stronger than the power of the enemy in them. So you just declare and confess over them as you guard yourself and protect yourself. Because I'm not going to let people bring death and destruction into my life, but I will look them in the eye and declare the word of the Lord over them and believe that the power of God in me is stronger than the power of darkness in them. Why? Because I'm a son. And I don't care how people perceive that. I know what the word of God says. And I will not any longer be manipulated by you. Not saying you. I'm talking about the world. I won't be manipulated by the people outside of God, outside of the kingdom, who say it can't happen. And I won't be manipulated by anybody who's been in the presence of God before and now it's not to tell me how it ought to be. Isn't it funny? That people who don't know anything about the Spirit have never encountered or or been in an environment of encounter can tell you how ridiculous we are because we believe in encounter. Well, honey, until you've sought it for yourself, don't come to me. Because you know what? I've encountered a lot of people who didn't believe it, and once they started seeking it, encountered it, and now they're believers. So unless you've sought it and not found it, don't come to me and tell me how wrong I am. Y'all need to be careful when you read things. Somebody put something on Facebook about charismaniac. Did you read that? There again, if, you ain't, if you've never saw it, you don't know it, you ain't been around it, don't come trying to tell me how it is. I won't tell you how you are. <clears throat> but now the Lord says, but now you've looked around and you've seen this dream and you've seen it destroyed. How many of you would say, I know what it's like to be there? Yeah, you've had, a, you, you've had an idea of what your relationship with your dad was supposed to be like. It ain't like that. You've had an idea of what your relationship with your mom's supposed to be like. Your sister's supposed to be like. Your, your children, uh, careers. Surely you've all experienced what it's like to be disappointed 
and stand in what you feel like is the ruins of something that you had a dream would be different. Your own personal life. Maybe you never thought you would be that person. Maybe as a little kid you thought, I'll never be deceived like that. Then you found yourself right in the very thing you didn't think you would be deceived by. Look at yourself. But this is what God says, okay? It must seem like nothing at all now. You stand in ruins and it must seem like nothing, like it's former glory. But this is what I say to you. Be strong. Verse 4. Be strong. Three times he says it. Be strong. Be strong. Be strong. What is the opposite of strong? Weak. So if he says be strong, he's saying don't be weak. God's saying, quit being weak. I'm not going to say, say it modern vernacular, but God's saying, quit being weak. Quit standing in the ruins and whining like a little sissy when I've empowered you with all my power. Quit looking at things and telling me, this is God speaking, how difficult it looks to you. You are living a result of the confessions you're making and the decisions you're making. Nobody puts you in the middle of that ruin sometimes but you. Sometimes you're in the ruins because of somebody else. To me, that's more difficult. Be honest. But whatever your ruins are, God's saying, look, now, well, I don't care what you did yesterday. I can't do nothing about what you did 10 years from today. Today is the day of the Lord. Today is the day the Lord has made. Today is the day you stand up in the middle of your ruins tighten up your bootstraps, you bow your back, you get some courage from the Holy Spirit, you declare over that thing and quit being a victim and take your place. And from this day forward, if you stay there, everyone will know you're choosing to be there. And you're aligning yourself with the enemy and they will know to be careful of you. I'm not saying, guys, if you're struggling, stay there. I'm saying if you're struggling, call a brother or sister in Christ who can come stand in the middle of the ruins with you. That's exactly what we did last Sunday. The Lord said, this is exactly why I had you do that, because this is exactly what I was doing. I was getting people to declare where they were standing in the ruins, and I was getting people to walk in the ruins with them and say, no, if this is how I see it. This is why we have to have the body. This is why you can't take jobs that keep you out of the house of the Lord. You can't take jobs that disassociate you from the body. It don't have to be this body, but it has to be a body that believes like this, I think. We're not the only move, but we're a good one. But you're associated with all of us. Find somebody. Put your stinking pride aside. Kill your pride and say, I'm struggling. Help me. Come stand in the middle of my ruins because I don't see any way this relationship can be any different. How do you see it? Ask somebody to release their faith in your situation. And then grab your hope and then your faith and tie it to what they declare. And then we'll pull each other up out of this. They had to do this as a group. He didn't call one man to rebuild this temple. He called them together to rebuild it. Be strong, be strong, be strong. All you people that are still here, all you people that are standing in the midst of the ruins, verse 4, and now get to work. For I am with you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. 
He said, be strong, be strong, be strong. Now get to work. Quit whining. Quit confessing anything other than my word and get to work. Ephesians 4 and 11. You have apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, teachers. For what? For the perfecting of the saints, which means the maturing of the body. To what? For the work of the ministry. Says the Lord of heaven's armies. What is he declaring there? Heaven and all of heaven's armies are backing what's just been said. Get to work, says the one who's in charge of heaven's armies. God, come down and fight this fight for me. I'm telling you, in this season, he ain't doing that. The battle's not mine, but the Lord's. That's true. But you've got to activate that promise. You can't just declare that and sit on your laurels. Is that a, right, is that a real word? It's not sounding good. Yeah, you make it worse too, don't you? <laughs> That's only nice way I can say it. Get up and activate the promise. Put your hands to the plow. No man, after putting his hands to the plow and looking back, is worthy of the kingdom. Put your hands to the plow. Get to work. Why? Because heaven's armies are poised to bring to completion the dream of God for you. And when you choose not to work, he's not going to come down and do it for you. He didn't tell Abraham that I will set Hagar and Ishmael out. He told Abraham, you set them out. You brought them into the situation. You set them out of the situation. What is happening is the dream of God and your mistakes are trying to grow up in the same house. You're living with that. And you're trying to be godly and you're trying to hold on to this thing. You're trying to love this thing. Abraham loved Hagar. He loved Ishmael. He loved them. He had a connection, a soul tie with them. But the promises of God and his mistakes were trying to grow up in the same house. And God said it's come to the point to where your mistakes will mock your promise. You have got to sever ties. And he didn't say, I'm going to do it for you. He said, you do it. I've given you the power to do it. You do it. I've given you the power to stop your addiction. You do it. I've given you the power to reconcile your relationship. You do it. I've given you the power to kill pride and arrogance and envy. I've given you the ministry of reconciliation. Get to work. And when you do that, the Lord of Heaven's armies will release those armies to come do battle for you. And you can look at the ruins and say, this battle ain't mine, but I'm going to get to work and I'm going to release Heaven's armies into this situation. Guys, come on. Come on. Come on. Who are we? Are we some mamby-pamby, lame bunch of people? Or are we people who house? We, we call ourselves spirit-filled people. Spirit-filled believers who are getting manipulated. I can't help myself. <laughs> don't you want to bust people in the mouth when I say that? I'm glad people don't because they would have hit me in the mouth several times because I've said it. I just can't help it. I just can't stop it. I just don't, mm. Hey, I've said this to me. I don't know what to do. That's not the author of confusion. If you're confused, who are you coming into agreement with? Who are you coming into agreement with? I can't stop myself. You're right, you can't. You know why? Because you're producing in you the DNA of your father. 
the DNA of the one you've come into alignment with, which is Satan. You can't stop because you've resubmitted yourself to the law of sin and death. Paul said we live above the law. Law dictates and demands that you do it. When you were a sinner, you were under the law of sin. You had to sin. You didn't have no choice. Sin had you. It demanded that you sin. And you did it because it demanded it. You didn't have no free choice. You know, well, I was doing that because I wanted to. No, you was doing it because you were under the law. It said you would do it. Think about how manipulated it was. You did exactly what your flesh said to do. And if you're doing that now as a believer, it's because you're making a choice to put yourself under that law again. You're coming into an agreement with a lie that says you're not free from that. I don't care what your issue is. we got a lot of different varieties of people in here. But if you gossip, don't think of yourself no better than the person who has an addiction to drugs. If you're a jealous person, if you're a manipulator, if you manipulate your wife or your husband, you're in the same bondage. You are under the law of sin because you've come into agreement with a lie. I'm not going to believe a lie anymore. This is just the way it is. No, it ain't. This is the way it is. This is the way it is, bro. This is the way it is. This is my reality. This is my reality. It may take five years to see a relationship brought back, but in that five years it will be brought back. Because this right here says, I've been given the ministry of reconciliation. It looks impossible. That person don't want to reconcile. That don't manipulate the truth. I'm declaring this over me as much as I am you. I will no longer come into agreement. I will no longer get up in the morning and dread my day. Now, I don't really like to work. So, you know, if you get up on Mondays and you have the work blahs, I get you. I'm with you. I wish we could be delivered from that curse. You know, we had it set up where we didn't have to do all that. It got ruined by us. But anyway, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about getting up on Monday morning, and Angela has 18 appointments, and it's impossible to get them all. And I, I feel frustration coming on me, and I say, no, today I'm a son of God. Today, I bring God encounters to everyone I meet. Today, I will walk in peace. Today, I will do what I can do and let the rest lie. Today is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Did he give you permission to have bad days? Today is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. You don't really have permission to go around sulking. You don't really have permission to huff and puff. How many of you love this? This is the greatest uh, communication in the English language. <sighs> How many of you enjoy that? You embrace that. When somebody's next to you and they do that, it just makes you feel warm and fuzzy all over, don't you? That is the most negative thing I've ever heard in my life. How many of you have done that? Sure, yeah. There's so much fear in that huff. There's so much anxiety and tension built in that. Listen, I'm not saying you're perfect. I'm saying we should strive to be perfect. That is the mark. Perfection is the mark. We've got to press toward that mark. Boy, I get off. Wow, it's 12.05 for those of you who are watching. I told Angel it's probably a good idea for everybody. If you, if you make plans for dinner after church, if you come here, you probably want to go ahead and make it about a 1, 1.15, depending on how far you got to drive. 
So, Mom, you know, we can't, 12 o'clock lunch is going to be hard here. So I'm just setting that down so I don't disappoint anyone. He says, be strong, be strong, be strong. I've got to get through this because it's the word of the Lord to you. And now get to work, for I am with you, says the Lord of heaven's army. My spirit remains among you just as I promised when I, when I brought you out of Egypt. So do not be afraid. This is the word of the Lord to you. Jesus said, when I ascend to the Father, I'm going to ask the Father, and the Father is going to send Holy Spirit. And He's going to be another counselor. He's going to be one who endues you with power. And He will be with you forever. He will never leave you nor forsake you the same promise that I made you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Now, even though you stand in the middle of the ruins, all of heaven's armies are poised to bring into existence the manifestation in the earth every promise of, of destroyed dreams and hopes. Maybe in a different version, but I promise you a better version. And he says, do this because I've never taken my spirit from you, and my spirit is with you. And I promised you that it will always be with you. And he says, don't be afraid. Romans 8.15 says, The spirit you receive does not make you slaves. This is why it's hard for me to grasp when people say I can't help it. Because that is a total and completely 180 degree confession over what the word of God says. If you can't help it, then you're a slave. First of all, you need to reevaluate your relationship with Jesus. And see that you are saved. Because repeating a sentence after a teacher when you're eight doesn't make you saved. Salvation is a heart condition. Okay, if the pastor said, repeat this after me, and you did it just because your mom was watching and you wanted service to be over, you couldn't wait to get out of there, you had every intentions on Sunday night to meet up with some friends and party, you ain't saved. It's a heart condition. It's a recognition of who you are and who he is and a confession of that. So, but he says, if you're saved, you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave so that you live in fear again. Fear is the environment of anything outside the kingdom. Peace is the environment of kingdom. If you're not a peaceful person, you need to connect with the kingdom. You need to connect with the prince of peace. You need to seek him. The spirit you received brought about your adoption to sons, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9. Be, of so, be sober of spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the enemy, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. This is the manipulation of your thoughts, is that he presents himself as a lion, and he gets you to believe that he is a lion, and that he's going to devour you at any moment. I really, honestly, guys, have problems with anybody, no matter how spiritual they claim to be, that presents to you an imagery of Satan as if he can at any moment take your life. That is not what the Word of God says. Jesus said, I have, I have triumphed over him. I have destroyed the works of the enemy. That you are light. Light always overcomes darkness. I have given you the same power to carry out the works that I committed and greater works than I did because now there's more of you, will you do? Any confession that brings in any ounce of fear 
to me is not in line with the word. Now, he does say be sober. Be aware of the fact that if you come into an alignment with a lie, the one who's roaring can devour you because you choose. He's saying in the scripture that the enemy presents himself as a lion to see if he can get you to come into agreement with him. And if you resist him, then he moves on to the next one. Comes to Ken roaring about Ken's job, feeding Ken negative lies about his career and his life's path in his career. And he wants Ken to come into agreement not only with his thoughts, but with his confession. If he can get you to come into agreement with that, then boom, he can devour it because you've given him access. He says, I've given you authority to open and close doors, to bind and loose what's already been bound and loose. You have to make the choice. You choose. I've set before you blessing and cursing, life and death. You choose. If your life is cursed, you made the choice. You brought the curse. Spirit remains among you, just as I promised when you came to Egypt. Let me, let me go back to James 4. I really want to make this point. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Do what, therefore, to God? Submit. Not a popular word. It's not a popular word in the house of God, and it's not a popular word outside. Submit. Submit to who? Submit yourselves to God. He doesn't say that you can resist the devil, and the devil will flee from you if you're not submitted. Just like he doesn't promise you, if you don't love God and you're not called according to his purpose, he doesn't promise you that everything will work out together for your good. I don't care how many times you confess, everything works together for the good. If you don't love God and you're not called according to his purpose, you don't have that promise. Because the word said, if you love the Lord and you're called according to his purpose, that means you come into alignment with what his dream is for your life. Then everything that comes into contact with you will work together for your good. If that's not you, you don't have that promise. If you're not submitted to God, you don't have the authority to resist the devil. You can resist all day long and he's not going to flee. Why? Because you're not submitted to the Lord. Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. Some of you say, I can't. I can't, I can't overcome this urge to, to backbite or, or talk about someone. Well, I'm going to ask you this. How submitted are you to God? Because... Jesus said the two most important commandments that you'll ever know in your life is to love God and love each other. Love other people like you love yourself. If you're submitted to that, then you wouldn't dare talk about somebody because you wouldn't, be, you wouldn't want somebody talking about you. You wouldn't tear somebody down because you wouldn't tear your own self down. The only way you can resist the devil and he flees from you is if you're submitted to God. God said don't forsake the assembling of yourself together as a matter of some is. But even more so as you see that day approaching. He said, don't skip out on coming to the house of God. That's not a popular topic among Christians today. You have the word of the Lord, now you've got to submit to it. God said, in the midst of your ruins, be strong, get to work. You have a choice today to submit to that word or to stay and whine in your ruins. If you stay in those ruins and whine, you're not submitted to God, and the enemy doesn't have to flee from you. You can invoke the name of Jesus all you want to. And the demons can beat your clothes off. Why? Because you're not submitted. When you're not submitted, you don't have that authority. You don't carry the authority of that government when you're not submitted to that government. I mean, if you know that illustration where they said by the, 
the name of Jesus or the name of Paul or by the, na- the name of the God that Paul talks about, I adjure you, come out. And they said, Jesus I know and Paul I know. I don't know you. And they beat them naked. So a lot of us are, are, are rebuking the devil and declaring things over our life, but we're not submitted. We're not obedient. We don't take our relationship with the Lord serious. We don't take the things of God serious. We don't take the house of God serious. We don't take our relationship serious. We use it as time fillers. We, we use it as appeasements, and we don't focus on it. I'm telling you that God in the kingdom should be the most important thing in your life. And everything else revolves around that. Your career is not the most important thing in your life. He said, seek the kingdom first. The first thing that you have that regulates your life is God in his kingdom. And everything else better operate around that or you're not submitted. And so you can rebuke in certain areas he don't have to flee because you hadn't submitted. If you're a person that knows you ought to be in the house of God regularly, Listen, you need to get connected to a body. And this, this, honestly, I'm way beyond this. So if it's not this body, cool. But you've got to get planted in a body. Because the Word of God talks about being rooted and planted so that you can grow. The problem is most houses don't really support people's dreams, so they never really feel like they can get rooted. But you can get rooted here because we'll celebrate your word along with our word. But you've got to do that. Submit. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. The devil just constantly... Let me, let me tell you, Jesus was tempted for 40 days. And then the enemy left for a season. Did the enemy come back? Yes. So, hello. You're going to be tempted for a season? And if you will resist and submit to God, that season will be... It will run its course. And then you will experience times... And I can tell you this by experience. And I can, I can show you records where I kept a journal of when the enemy would come at me and how he would leave. And I would experience months of really not an intense temptation. But then I would experience seasons of intense temptation. Just like Christ, he experienced seasons of intense face-to-face encounters with the enemy. But then because he resisted by the word of God and by submission to God, because Jesus said, I don't do anything that the Father don't tell me to do. The works that I do are what the Father tells me to do. So he was fully submitted, and he used the word of God to resist the devil. The devil fleed, but he came back. I mean, those guys in the recovery, man, you can rest assured that when they get out of recovery, that temptation will come back. They need to be prepared for that. It's not a downfall because the temptation comes. But you don't have the authority for him to flee from you unless you're submitted. (laughs) And what's wonderful about submission? is that the moment you submit, you're flowing in a vein of pure and complete peace. Even in the middle of hell itself in your life, you can still be a peaceful person. Guys, you're going to experience trials and tribulations. You're going to experience hard times. You're going to experience moments where you want to give up. But you can still be a person of peace in assurance of knowing no matter what I'm in right now, I have all the power of heaven and the Lord of heaven's armies backing some way, somehow. <clears throat> For this is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. In just a little while, I will again shake the heaven and the earth. We understand 6 through 9 is a, is a prophetic uh, declaration of Christ. The ocean dry land. I will shake the nations and the treasures of the nations will be brought to this temple. 
I will fill this place with glory, says the Lord of Heaven's army. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord of Heaven's army. The future glory of this temple will be greater than past glory, says the Lord of Heaven's army. And in this place I will bring peace. Look at that, guys. Look at that. What, did, what does he say? What's going to be one of the first manifestations of his presence? I will bring peace. He's talking about Jesus. He's talking about the Prince of Peace. But in this place I'll bring peace. <coughs> future glory of this temple will be greater than its past glory. And I'll end there. What does that mean? You're standing in ruins. You're looking around at different things in your life and you're thinking, I tried to put that back together, but it, I just lost heart and it didn't look like it was coming to fruition. God says, you got to get to work. Be strong. Stand up in the middle of it. Quit whining. Quit taking a victim mentality. Use the Spirit of God. Come into agreement with the Spirit of God that has never left you. Stand in the middle of that thing and have the backbone to declare the word of the Lord and then get to work. And I will support you. Nothing with him is impossible. Nothing. So once you get to work to repair that, once you get to work to do the will of the Lord in all of those situations, heaven's armies will come in and empower that thing to see that it come to pass. You have that promise. And he says, I promise you when it is rebuilt, the glory of that house will be greater than the, what you presume the glory of the previous house to be. And he's telling us that in this region, that this house can rebuild these wells of past revival and what God will do in this region will be more splendid than anything that we've ever seen. How many of you have been in some splendid meetings, some glorious encounters with the Lord? And he says, what you could ever think or ask I'm abundantly capable and will perform greater than that. And the glory of what I want to release in this region, no matter what kind of ruins you stand in now, no matter what you thought, I had thoughts about where I would be today in God. And, and it, ain't, it didn't happen. And so I stand in those ruins, which I'm out of those ruins. I, I really am. I'm, I'm trying to identify every ruins I have and get out of it. But... I stand in the middle of ruins and I look and I declare what the word of the Lord says and I expect heaven's armies to come to my defense of what I've declared and I believe that any relationship that's in ruins now, will, the glory of, and, the, and the excitement and the, the, the flavor even of that relationship will be greater than anything I could have ever dreamed it would be. Well, my life is over or my life is this and my life is that and it ain't like what I thought it was going to be. That's right, it ain't. Welcome to the real world. We have disappointments. You think Christ liked it when he knew Peter would deny him? When Christ came to the revelation that I'm looking at my best friend and he's going to deny me three times before the night's over. Think he enjoyed that? You think he was disappointed? Think he was disappointed? He didn't want to go to the cross as a human. He said, Father, if there's any other way, I don't, I don't really want to do this. That's what he was saying. Come on. If there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. If there's any other way, let there be another way. But if there's not another way, whatever your will is, we find ourselves in situations that we didn't have no, we didn't have any influence of getting there. Somebody else put us in those ruins. But you know what? In the middle of those ruins, I won't whine and cry like a victim. I will stand up and I will say, this is what the word of the Lord says. This is what heaven's armies are being dispatched to bring into, into existence in my life. In any area, any area, business, relationships, whatever it is. You might have saw yourself having this great and glorious ministry. You started and you failed. 
Let me tell you, if you start, if you don't have failures in your life, you ain't done either. You should have a list of failures in your life. I celebrate those failures because you want to know why? Because you're trying. You're doing something. People who can't sit down with me at a table and say, this is the areas I failed in, that means they ain't done nothing. You know, Rick Warren, one of the greatest, you know, pastors considered of our time, has staff meetings where he makes his staff people bring five things they failed at in the past year. Because he says, if you can't tell me five things you failed at, you sure can't tell me five things you, you are, are operating in because if you don't have any failures, you're not trying anything. So we all have failures, but this morning, everybody stand. Stand in the middle of that ruin. Even if you remember how great it was or how great you thought it was going to be, and you're standing in the middle of ruins, and you don't see any way that it can be rebuilt, or you don't see any reason to try to rebuild it. They had convinced themselves it's not worth the effort. He's saying, be strong, be strong, be strong. Stand in the middle of those ruins, stand up, confess my word, and get to work. Get to work. I promise you this region won't be impacted by the power of God if we don't get to work. And if we don't connect with the things that God wants us to connect with and get out into the community, we're not compelled. We're, we truly don't have the love of Jesus if we don't feel compelled to get outside this house. True? If I don't believe that I can come in contact with Cam and that if Cam will submit himself to God and, and, and allow me and him to have a relationship and let me speak into his life and then submit to my spiritual authority... If I don't believe that I can influence him and be positive, then what in the world am I doing here? I believe you can make me better, and I believe I can make you better because we're all children of God. I'm, exci- I'm more excited about my life than I've ever been in my life. And some people may look at my life and say, well, you're a fool then. But I'm going to tell you, I have the backing. I've, I'm finally coming into the realization that I have the backing of heaven and I cannot lose. And Satan can't destroy me and he can't destroy any of mine. He can't touch my fields. He can't touch my harvest. He can't touch my storehouses. He can't touch my relationships. Oh, he, he might disrupt things. He might present as if he's in charge. But let me tell you, he don't have any authority here. Light always overcomes darkness. Some way, somehow, in the timing, it will all work together for my good because I am pursuing the call and I love the Lord. I've submitted myself unto the Lord and when I resist the enemy, he will flee. I resist the enemy in my son's life. I resist the enemy in my daughter's life. I resist the enemy in her life. When I see she's depressed or negative, I resist the enemy by speaking positive and saying, look, this is what the word of the Lord says. I resist the devil for them resist him on every front I resist him when he says ah oh, you ain't got many in the house today I resist that it ain't about how many I got Jesus said I can change the world with 12 you got 12 here don't you yeah it's a good start be like me you see what I'm saying you resist him on every front man I just feel the power God, just infuse people with this power this morning. Father, bring your Holy Spirit to come and infuse us and let us know. Let the eyes of our understanding be enlightened that any situation we look at, we don't have to be manipulated anymore. We don't have to just take it. We are not doormats. We don't have to just get slapped around like some old junkyard dog. 
We are sons and daughters of yours. We have the ability to create with our words. We can honestly believe what we're declaring. The Father infused people with, with the understanding of the necessity to submit and the work that goes into that. 